Alright, so tonight, what book have we been studying? Colossians. Now, let me ask you a couple questions, okay? I want you to finish this statement. I'm going to give you a two-word statement, and I want you to finish it, okay? The first one is this. School is... <laughs> okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, I, I, I need hands to go up because I'm, I'm, I'm catching too many. School is what? What's Stressful. Amazing. What'd you say? Poopy? Okay, I, I've never heard that adjective about school before. Terrible. Hurtful. What's that? Tiring. Educational. Okay. All right. So for the most part, I'd say 98% of your responses were not positive about school. Is that correct? Okay. Some of y'all are having a great time. All right. How about this one? How about Netflix is chill? Okay. Terrible. Overpriced. Boring. Annoying. Daniel. Overrated. Okay, okay. I need somebody on this side of the room to give me a word because nobody's talking over here except to each other. Netflix is what? Great? Degenerate? Okay. Depends on what you're watching. Absolutely. What you got? Amazing. Okay, all right. So, so we got some differing opinions. How about this one? I got another one for you. Chocolate is... Oh, half the faces in the room are like, you just hit the good one there. Chocolate is what? That's why you get up? We should talk about that. Okay. (laughs) Okay, yeah. All right, right. I'm going to do it again. Somebody over here. Chocolate is what? Delicious, okay. Bad for your teeth, but worth it. Amazing what? An amazing recovery snack. Recovering from what? From anything. Okay. Colby. Good with peanut butter. Disgusting. Oh, you got some dirty looks on that one. Riley. What's that? Filthy. Okay. So, here's what I'm noticing in your answers. Whether it's school or it's Netflix or it's chocolate or anything else that I might have said. I'd say almost all of your answers, if not all of them, are based on your experience with whatever that is. You, maybe you've watched Netflix and you liked it, or you watched it and you don't like it. You've tried chocolate and you don't like it, or you've tried it and it's the reason you get up in the morning. You've tried all it, school, like everybody hated school, but here's the thing. All of those, those words that you gave me to describe when I asked those questions Every one of those is based on your own personal experience, and it's based on your own personal opinion. And that's not a bad thing, because that's how we interact with the world. We look at how it affects us, and and how we like things or don't like things, and that's good. But where we get into trouble is when that starts creeping over into how we view God. Now, God is a personal God, without a question. And every single person that's put their faith and trust in Jesus, you've had a personal experience, and, and the experience you've had with God has been your experience, and it's not the same one that every, any of, anybody else has, much less everyone else has. But where we get into trouble is when we start telling other people Jesus is, and with that statement, 
we start telling them things sometimes that maybe aren't necessarily based in Scripture. You see, if you remember, we've been studying the book of Colossians, which, by the way, before we get any further, who wrote the book? Paul, when do we believe it was written? Yeah, 60 to 62 A.D. Where do we think he was when he wrote it? In remember, 95% of the time, say prison with Paul, and you're probably right, okay? He was in prison. We believe he was in Rome. We think he wrote the book of Ephesians around that same time. Who did he write the book to? Church of Colossae. Why did he write the book? To encourage and to warn. Absolutely. And this is where we see Paul getting into what he's talking about tonight. We see he starts to warn them, but he's warning them by telling them what the truths of Scripture are. Because if you remember, there were false teachers that were creeping into the church, and, and we don't know all of the false doctrine that they might have been teaching, but from what we can see that Paul explains in this book, we see some things that he makes sure he leaves no question about, about how we understand God. And I asked you all of those is questions, school is, chocolate is, Netflix is, but my question for you tonight, and don't answer this out loud right now, but if I asked you to finish this sentence, Jesus is, how would you finish that sentence? For every one of us, we're going to have personal answers to that. He's, he's healer, he's savior, he's Lord, he's comforter, he's all of these different things, and those are great things but we also need to make sure that we have a good grasp on what Scripture tells us Jesus is. That's not based in opinion because someone can challenge your opinion. Someone can challenge your experience, but they can't challenge the Word of God. And that is what Paul is helping them understand tonight, is that there are things that we need to know about Jesus, who He is, that do not change. And if we understand those, then it gives us a view of Jesus that puts him above everything else everywhere. Remember, we talked about the theme of this book is the preeminence of Christ above all. That's what Paul is bringing attention to tonight. So I'm going to ask you guys to do what we do every single week. I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. And I'm going to ask Miss Chloe to come up here tonight and read Colossians. We're still in chapter one. We're going verses 15 through 20 tonight. <laughs> he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and that in everything he may be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this day, and thank you for letting us all gather here together. I pray that you speak through Pastor Jesse and give us him, give it, whoa, give him the words that you want us to hear and live out. And I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Chloe. I get tongue-tied there sometimes as well. It's okay. All right, go ahead and have a seat if you hadn't already. Um, so when we go through that passage, we see quite a few things actually that Paul talks about that Jesus is. In fact, as we walk through there, we're going to see tonight, there are nine different things that give us some of those Jesus is statements. And the first one we see there is in that first verse, Jesus, uh, Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. It tells us that Jesus is the image of of God. Now, 
For those of you who have read a little bit of Scripture, who else in Scripture do we see is made in the image of God? We are, yeah. Man, man and woman, humanity. That's what it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. That's not going to be on the screen, but let me just read that for you in case you're not familiar with it. Then God said, let us, that's the Trinity there, God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, the Holy Spirit, let us, God, make man, or let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So you and I, humanity, we are made in the image of God. And it tells us right there in verse 15 that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. But you see, there's a distinct difference between the image that we bear of God and the image that Jesus bears of God. Now, while we're created in the image of God, the image we bear, it's a different image because the image we bear is distorted by sin. It's kind of like, you think about it this way. If you look at Jesus, you are looking at a reflection of who God is. God in the flesh. You go to a, a fair. Has anybody ever been to a fair and gone to like the fun house and seen those really weird mirrors? When you look in one of those mirrors, it either makes you really short and really wide or it makes you really tall and really thin, or it kind of puts waves in your body. It's a distorted image of what you actually look like. When Scripture says that we are in the image of God, we are. God created us in His image, but that image has been distorted by sin. It's not a true image of the person of who God is. But Jesus, His life was not distorted by sin. Scripture tells us that He lived a life all the way to adulthood, and that Jesus not one time ever sinned. Not in thought, not in word, not in deed. His image was not marred by God, he, or by sin. He was God in the flesh. So to say that he is the, the image of God, that means he is the visible picture. He is the visible representation of the invisible God with no distortions, no crazy changes, none of that. That basically means, in fact, it does mean that Jesus is God himself. That, that's a big deal. We see it all the way back there in Genesis. He says, let us make God in our image because they're three in one. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and yet one God. It's a crazy paradox that we have a hard time wrapping our minds around and an even harder time explaining it to people. But that's what Scripture tells us, that he is in the image of God, and the image that we bear it's fallen because of disobedience, but Jesus never had that failure in his life. Jesus never sinned, and Paul is making sure that we understand Jesus is God, and he is God in all his glory, and God in all his holiness. And the amazing thing is, Scripture tells us that when we ask for forgiveness of our sins, when we put our faith and trust in him, that God is conforming us into the image of Jesus. That's pretty cool. If Jesus is the image, the visible of the invisible God, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, when we're forgiven of our sins, God begins to conform us into the image of Jesus. Will we ever be sinless and perfect? No, we won't. You're right. We never will until the day you die and you're with God for eternity. That's when you'll stop sinning. But until that time, that's a, a process called sanctification. That's a big fancy word that means I'm trying more and more every day to be holy and to be who God's created me to be. 
that's our goal. That's the process. And Jesus is the picture we see of that. It says he is the image of God. That same verse also says at the end, he is the firstborn of all creation. Does anybody know what it means, especially during these times, when someone said they were the firstborn child or the firstborn son? Do you know what that meant? What's that? Yeah, the birthright. Yeah. What would you say over here? We get the inheritance. That's the birthright. As the firstborn son, you got everything that was coming down. Now, your other siblings who were younger than you, you they would get some other things. I mean, they, they weren't all cut off completely, but as the firstborn, you had the birthright. You had the inheritance, which means everything your dad had, or almost everything, was coming to you when he passed away one day. Now, when Paul talks about here, when he says the firstborn, He's not referring to a physical birth order. Now, we, we read about Jesus being physically born in the New Testament, but that's not what Paul's referring to. What Paul's referring to here is he's telling us that Jesus is and was before everything ever. Remember back in Genesis, let us make man in our image? That's God talking, but Jesus is right there. He was there before all of these things were made. In fact, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 say this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Let me keep going there. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What Paul is saying here is that Jesus has supremacy in all of creation because he is the one who created all things. Think about that for a second. It's like if you have an art class or you have a project for school and you have to create this poster or this design or something, you are the only one that has rights to take that and display it and destroy it or do anything else with it because you created it, right? If somebody else walks up and starts picking it apart, you're going to get defensive real quick because it's your creation. You're the only one that's got the right to do that. And that's what Paul is helping us see here is that Jesus right there, he's the firstborn of creation. He is the only one that has that right to be called that because he is the only one through which everything was created. In fact, that's what the next couple of verses tell us. In Colossians 1, 16 through 17, it tells us to begin with, Jesus is the creator of all things. John chapter 1 just told us that, but Colossians backs it up. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's pretty clear. Jesus has created everything, everything on earth, everything in the heavens. If it's visible, if you can see it, if you can perceive it, Jesus created it. If it's invisible, Jesus created it. Let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever seen the wind? Have you? No, no, I mean like, like the wind. <laughs> You've seen the wind. How, how have you seen the wind? What's that? That's temperature. 
through the trees. So you've seen the wind blow trees, but you haven't actually seen the wind. You've seen the effects of the wind. You've seen the card. Now I'm talking reality. Here's, hey, here's why I asked that question. We think, well, if it's invisible, how do we even know it's there? You don't see the wind, but you see the effects of it. Jesus created that. The angels that we don't get to see visibly, the demons that we don't see visibly, they're still created. And all of that was created. Now, just so you understand, demons used to be angels who were all created through Jesus. Okay? There's a distinction there. But here's the thing. Jesus created all of it. Visible, invisible. That's what Paul is telling us here. Any earthly rulers, any spiritual powers, Jesus created all of those. All kings, all governments, all angelic beings, all realms, dominions, kingdoms. They were all created by Jesus. And because he's the creator, he has supreme position over all of them. He's above all things. He's above all people. And th this is where I want to take a side note right now because we are entering into a season that is a political just, it's everywhere. You need to understand, I don't care which side of the aisle you fall on, which party you affiliate with, you will not find a savior in a political party. There is only one Savior. And He created all of those people. So bear that in mind as you pay attention to this political system. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Jesus is over all of that. He's over all of those people. He is the Creator. And it tells us there in that same set of verses, it says that Jesus is also before all things. He's much greater than those things because in the created order, He existed before all of those things. And He continually, continually is before all things. Temporally, that means in time, He pre-existed before all of those things. And in status. That's the theme of the book. He holds the preeminent position. He is holier. He is more worthy. He is higher than all of those things. And before we go too much further, my question for you at that point is, does Jesus hold that position in your life? If he's above all of these things, we can read this all day long and say, yes, yes, Jesus is above that and Jesus is above that, but is Jesus above you? Because sometimes we fail in that. Sometimes we say, yes, Jesus is Lord and Jesus is above everything in my life, but then without even thinking about it or sometimes intentionally, we start creeping ourselves up above Jesus' position in our own life. Scripture tells us he's up here all the time, every time. But we have to acknowledge it. Because he's always here. Sometimes we think we're here. We may not say that out loud, but this is where we put ourselves. Jesus is always here. He is above all of the created order. It also says in those verses, Jesus is the sustainer of all things. This part I find extremely comforting and extremely scary at the same time. Because look at what it says there. Let me go back there. In verse... Um, Verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We've talked about this in here before. Does anybody know what a deist is? It's a belief system. What is a deist? That's exactly what it is. A deist believes that God, just like we believe, created everything, but the difference is there. We believe that God is still involved in his creation. Deists believe that God said, 
looks good, let's see what happens. And took his hands off. But that's, that's not what this passage says. It says he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. That means Jesus is right now actively sustaining this universe. That means his hand is on everything that is happening. Because scripture tells us if he is sustaining it, if he is holding it together, if for one millisecond he took his hand off of creation, guess what? We cease to exist. Like, like Thanos who changes everything just by snapping in the Avengers movie. If Jesus pulled his hand off just in that same instant, everything's gone. That's, that's the power that Jesus has. That should be scary to you because that's how powerful he is. But that should be reassuring to you as well. Because if Jesus really is holding everything together, that includes your life. That includes your existence. He not only cares about this big, giant universe we live in, but he cares about your reality and your day-to-day -day existence. And that's comforting. Because the God who created and sustains and cares about everything that's so much bigger cares about little old you and me. He is the sustainer of all things, and that includes our lives. And Scripture also tells us in the next couple of verses, it says that Jesus is the head of the church. Look at verse 18 through 20. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is the head of the church, which is his body. You and I, the church, we are the body of Christ, which means we are intimately connected your body, think about your physical body, okay? Yes, you have different parts. You have fingers, you have toes, head, nose, all of these things that seem like individual parts, but beneath the skin, guess what? They're all connected with nerves and cells and veins and arteries and all of these different systems that run throughout your body. It makes it one body. The church is the same way. We all seem to be individual parts, but Scripture tells us that we are connected through Christ. He is the head of the body and we follow where that head leads and it's in him that we're supposed to find our identity. We put our identity in a whole lot of other things. In the sports that we play, in the grades that we make, in the family that we come from, in the kind of car that we drive, in the clothes that we wear, in so many different things. And yet if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that is where you're supposed to find your identity as part of his body, his church. He is the beginning and the source of the church. And then Paul continues there and he says he's not only the head of the body, the church, he is the firstborn from the dead. Now, have you ever read about anybody else in scripture coming back to life besides Jesus? Give me, give me a name. Lazarus. Anybody else? Ezekiel's bones. Yeah, the dry bones. Okay. Anybody else? Kid that fell out of a window. That's right. Anybody else? Y'all are pulling out some obscure references here. Good. I'm impressed. Okay. I want to I pose something to you. 
they didn't actually come back from the dead. Those would be, I would call those resuscitations. You know what that means? That means, that means they, they appear dead, or maybe they were actually physically dead, but they were brought back to life. But guess what? They died again. Plain and simple. It, it was a resuscitation. They got a little bit of life back, maybe lived a little bit longer, but then they died again. Jesus, on the other hand, died on a cross, was buried in a tomb. Three days later, was alive again, walked out of that tomb, but guess what? He didn't die again. He's the firstborn from the dead. He is the only one in history that has ever done that. That's why he can claim that. That's why Paul would say that right here. He's the first one to rise from the dead and not die again. And in doing so, he made that resurrected life available for anybody that would put their faith and trust in him. Scripture tells us in the New Testament that when we ask Jesus to forgive us of our sin, when we put our faith and trust in him, we move from death to life spiritually. Think about that for a second. Right now, if you're in here tonight or at the time in your life before you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin, you're basically a walking zombie spiritually. You're, you're awake, you're moving, you're breathing, you're talking, you're doing things, but spiritually you are dead inside. But in that moment that you understand you're a sinner, and the only thing, the only thing that can make you right with God is a relationship with Jesus Christ, forgiveness of your sins through his death, burial, and resurrection, Scripture tells us in that moment you come to life. And now you follow Jesus as he moves from death to life. He's the firstborn from the dead. And he gives us that ability to follow him in that process. And that never ends. And then he says the word that we've been talking about this whole time. Jesus is preeminent. Above, in front of, over everything. The cool thing is here, that word preeminent, guess how many times it's used in Scripture? Any guesses? One time. Did you say it? That word is used one time in all of Scripture, and it's used right here about Jesus. He has preeminence. He holds the highest place above everything. And that is solidified in how he describes that, that it's the fullness of God that was pleased to dwell in him. The fullness of God in Jesus that reconciles all of creation to himself. It's through Jesus that that reconciliation, remember we talked about, we've talked about that word before, reconciliation means to make something consistent or compatible. Without Jesus, you and I are not compatible with God. It, it just doesn't work. It's like you trying to take a charging cable from an HP laptop and plug it into a MacBook. They're incompatible. They're, they're not going to work. doesn't matter how hard you try. It's not going to happen. That's the same thing with us. Without Jesus, we are incompatible with God because of our sin. But through him, we have the ability to be reconciled to God. That's why Paul says Jesus is making peace. He's bringing peace. Look at that. Let me read that again. It says right there in that last verse, it says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. 
If you go back to Genesis, you see that when God created man, God said it was very good, but then man went and messed it up. And we're separated spiritually from God. And, and God had to step in and take care of that problem we have. We need reconciliation. We need something to pay for our sins and bring us back into fellowship with God. Before Christ, we all stood in hostility towards God. Scripture tells us that your mind was actually at war with God. You were that set against him whether you realized it or not. But it's in Jesus that we see reconciliation. It's in Jesus that we see peace that Paul talks about here. Jesus willingly took our sin on himself to make peace between God and us. And that is the only way that reconciliation takes place. It's the only way for that to happen is through Jesus. So as we bring this to a close tonight, as we get ready to stand up and sing again, I want to ask you this one more time. And again, I don't want you to answer this out loud, but I want you to write it down. You can use that yellow card. Maybe if you've got something else to write on. But finish this statement, Jesus is. And write as many things that come to mind. Start it when we stand up to sing. You just stay seated and do that for a minute. Jesus is. And my hope, my prayer for every one of you is that somewhere in that list, the word Savior appears. The one that forgives you of your sin. The one that reconciles you to God. If you're sitting here tonight and that word does not appear in your list because you don't have a relationship with him, you can change that tonight. You can know all of these things that Paul talks about to be true in your life. You can know the peace that only Jesus brings. The peace that puts you in relationship with God. Something whether you realize it or not, your heart desperately longs for. Your soul longs for make that list Jesus is and if you're here tonight and, and you can't put Savior I would love to talk to you about that one of our other adults would love to talk to you about that about how to make that transition from death to life but don't walk out of here tonight without knowing who Jesus is in your life let's pray God we thank you we thank you for who you are God, we thank you that we can come together, that we can worship you, that we can, that we can know you because of your Son. And God, I pray right now for every single one of us, God, help us to be able to answer that question of who Jesus is. Who Jesus is personally, God, but also who Jesus is according to your word. I pray for each person in this room that's put their faith and their trust in you through Jesus, God. Show them the truth of who Jesus is in their life. If there's anybody in here tonight, God, that, that doesn't know you as Savior, that doesn't, doesn't have the ability to write Jesus is Savior, God, I pray that you will speak to him right now. Give him the courage and the boldness to take that step and to turn to you and to trust you. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.